Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. I'm so happy to have in the studio today C.M. Burroughs. C.M., welcome. Thank you. Uh, so glad you're here. We're, we're just, Me too. It feels good. You've taken the, the plane from Chicago. Uh-huh. Um, to, and- to more blustery weather. <laughs> is it? Is it? I know it feels so blustery, but I feel like in Chicago you would always win, mm-hmm. like hands mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yep. Um, but to, uh, today we're going to have a, a great hour ahead um, with CM Burroughs. Um, tomorrow, CM Burroughs will be reading for the Zell Visiting Writer Series at UMA um, at five o'clock. Uh, and so you can head to that to see CM Burroughs in person and hear poems, The Vital System, out with Tupelo Press, the book on the table with us. And we also have uh, the manuscript of new poems, uh, Master Suffering, which will be out with Tupelo Press this coming year. So we'll get to um, have some, maybe some debut poems from, maybe, from the book, maybe. maybe. Okay. Okay. But we've got the vital system on the table with us also. So we will not be, um, don't worry, vital system. You will not be ignored here. Right? <laughs> um, before we go any further, I'll read uh, C.M. Burroughs' short, short bio here. C.M. Burroughs is an associate professor of poetry at Columbia College, Chicago. She has been awarded fellowships and grants from Yaddo, the McDowell Colony, the Jarasi Foundation, Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, and Cave Canem Foundation. She's received commissions from the Studio Museum of Harlem and the Warhol Museum to create poetry in response to art installations. Her poetry has appeared in journals and anthologies, including Poetry, Callaloo, Jubilat, Plowshares, Volt, and Best American Experimental Writing 2015. Her second book, Master Suffering, will be published by Tupelo Press in 2020, as we said. Okay. So, Sam, thanks again for coming down. Absolutely. To be on the radio today. Um, so, let's talk about how you chose poems and how poems chose you. Because mm-hmm. is it fair to say you were always writing since you were yeah. a girl? Absolutely. Absolutely. And but- my family gave me room to write as well. I was desperately introverted and... I think it hurt their feelings quite, quite, quite often, but they did let me alone in my room so I could write. And my mother, uh, before she retired, was a primary school teacher. And so our summer activity was partly to just go to the library. And so I'd pick up as much, and I was reading fiction at the time, but I would pick up as much fiction as I could and just read during the summer. And I would, basically my punishment would be to go outside and play. (laughs) It's horrible. Get, get outside your room. Get yeah, outside. yeah. My mother had to yell at me, but um, they were my father's an attorney, and so between the two of them, the words they worked them into me. And and that was your path for a while. Mm-hmm. You you were thinking of law. You need to be a good writer yeah. to be a good lawyer, good thinker, right? You so. do, but there's so many boxes when it comes to the law, right? And how you can write and. I like working way outside of boxes. Um, But my father just retired and closed his law firm. But it was assumed that I would take it over for a while. I would join the firm, um, and then he would retire. It would be a beautiful little succession, right? But uh, 
I I just loved poetry. And once I found out a master's in poetry was possible, I decided to do that instead of law school, even though I didn't have any any idea of what would come after that. Um, I think it was a matter of connections and networking uh, to find out what next at a neighbor who's a Spelman professor, Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. And so that was the next logical step, teaching. And how did you, like, was it, because it sounds brave to have this one path that seems Mm -hmm. quite stable and maybe also potentially a pressure to take that path because mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Um, wanting to fulfill <laughs> dreams of a family. You know? <laughs> and you, you chose art. You mm-hmm. were able to do that at this young age and also stay with it. It wasn't as if you're like, well, I'll go to, did you, you went to university of Pittsburgh right, then for right. an MFA. Right. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. You say brave and I think, yes, that's true, but I have no idea how I managed to do that. I remember how nervous I was to tell my family, my parents, that I was not going to go to law school, which I was very happy not to do. I remember tearing up the applications to Emory University and just in utter happiness. And my mother's response, I'm sorry, mom, was, I've told everyone you're going to law school already, as if that was the problem. And then uh, my father said, sounds good to me. But then later on, I had to had to argue why it seemed like a logical choice for me. And as so. you were arguing, he was like, you would have been so good at this. You would have been absolutely such a absolutely. great lawyer. <laughs> so, And now you teach at a, at, at a school where it is an art school. When students are choosing Ooh, to come to this place, mm-hmm. they are already saying and being artists yes. at a young age. That's the beauty of it. Um, I think one of the things that allowed my father to usher me into poetry with you know, 50% misgivings instead of 100% was that he knew passion through law and he could see I knew passion through poetry. And so he could at least say there's something very true here that she can move toward a direction. And I think that's something that our students at Columbia College Chicago have in in multitudes and it's really pleasurable to figure out how to lock in the students intellect and passion in one as they go through as they go through their years there and and you say also um cm that you appreciate working outside of boxes Mm -hmm, too mm -hmm. how do you see that informing your role as the young people, young poets or older poets like coming and starting their journey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at least in an academic space of poetry. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, one thing is I have students who come into my classes very confident in some style. For some folks, it's rhyme. Uh, in that case, I outlaw rhyme. They are not allowed to do it at all unless it's skillful internal rhyme for the entire semester. They gripe, but it's my class, so so what? You're tough. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another thing is that Douglas Kearney, who's a poet out in, he's in Minneapolis right now teaching there. I think he blurbed your, your yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. He's excellent. Uh, 
but he remembers a time when I was 21 or something and I, I was I was bucking all the rules, right? Oh, I remember you said you don't believe in rules of poetry. I, I don't remember this, but um, at the time I was writing free verse. And so it was it was Douglas who helped me to see that I could have very strict rules around my particular free verse, right? And so if I was going to have a backslash, if I was going to strike out a word, it would need to have a very clear reasoning behind it that I could then defend and operate throughout the book. Oh, so it would be something that wasn't a one-time thing. Like it's just like it was something that then would be at work or at play throughout a larger series or project. Absolutely. I really believe in guiding the reader and or teaching the reader how to approach my work. So I do, I, I, I don't handhold, but I do say, come with me. Right. Maybe we could talk about how you were... You were or you were guiding or orchestrating mm-hmm. with the vital system. Sure. Well, uh, because I felt that I just mm-hmm. want to let you know there was a point in the book where I felt like, oh, I know more about how mm-hmm. to be in this book, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't always feel that way. Got it. That's great. Um, I think well, and and the guiding in this really comes with the first poem where I lay out, you know, and sometimes I think, oh, it's a bit thesis statement like but I lay out the parameters of the book right so you know the body will come into it you know that a certain kind of fear will come into it um self-awareness the the dead sister I have a sister who passed away in 98 appears there um blackness race appears there so it it at least gives you the ground that you're walking on so you can be a bit more steady as you go through forms that aren't going to be traditional sonnets uh, blank verse, and then so that you can deal with punctuation that's not going to be what you learned in grammar school. Mm-hmm. And and so that feels like a like it's a worthwhile to you, a value, because you know you want to be breaking these other rules or conventions, mm-hmm. but you want to show what your right. your rules are. Right. Absolutely. And is that why the book is also in six sec- sections then as well, or the structurally? You know, it just worked out that way. Okay. <laughs> There's no Sometimes it's in, that number. intuition. It's not yeah, a rule. Right. It's mm-hmm. what is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's do you mind do you mind reading Dear Incubator, incubator sure. since since we're here? All right. <clears throat> Dear Incubator, at 6 months gestation, I'm a fabrication born far too soon. My body a stone in a steaming basket. I remember you, figureless, a black kaleidoscope, turn, turn, the dangerous loom of the loom of you, patterns pressing upon me inside, nothing luminous as my mother's womb, this second attempt at formation, a turn. The nurse slides her wedding band past my hand, beyond my elbow and over my shoulder, I'm one pound, twelve ounces, and already feminine, knowing nothing of it. I am trying to be clear. I was first fascinated, then afraid of the shapes rise from your darkness and their growth toward me. I wailed under their weight. My eyes were shuttered by lids. My skin was translucent. Anyone could see me working. 
How can I ask you from inside the poem? What senses did I have so early, so unformed? I was tangled in tubes that kept my heart pumping, that kept my lungs from collapsing, food to the body, oxygen to the brain. You were everything and nothing, a surrogate, a packaging of half-made sensory detail, a past. I have scars on my belly in shapes of fish, where sensors tore thin skin. What a tragedy to be powerless. And yet, I controlled the choreography of everyone around me, the check of vitals, arms through the arm ports, my parents' speech. Also, there were surgeons. I'm trying to tell you something important about after they opened you and took me out. I was infected, could command nothing of my legs for months, the surgeon's thin blade shining into nothing. Imagine the cuts, blood spread along the lip of each, spilling as my skin parts, someone bringing cotton to catch it. Is it your fault? I don't know. I was in a state. I've explained. I don't know what you let in. Perhaps. Do you know lovers ask about these scars? Touch these raised scars. So much has happened. I'm black. I have a dead sister. I love you, but, and believe this, I mostly want to talk. Thank you, CM. Mm -hmm. When you wrote Dear Incubator, did you have an idea already for the vital system? Actually, this was the last poem I wrote for the book. Very final. Um, I was having Douglas Kearney again as one of my main readers when I've got a manuscript finished. And so he was looking at it and he said, I feel like something's missing. And without thinking, I said, well, there, there's that incubator. And (laughs) he said, well, of course you have to write that poem. Um, and it made absolute sense that there should be this, this machine, this other in the book, um, informing the body, right. Making the body like the machine of the body or Mm -hmm. the machine of the mind Mm -hmm. or, or so. Um, and then, so then you kind of knew when you, well, did you know when you wrote it, that it should also be the first poem in the book. I can't remember. I can't. It just naturally, it made sense because of this final line, I mostly want to talk, right? That that sort of opens up this field for absolute, um, what, progression into speech, listening. Breathing. Breathing, yeah, for sure. Let's take a short break. We'll be back. Today on the program, CM Burroughs is here. So you all can breathe and keep breathing when we come back, of course, too. But you've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got CM Burroughs, The Vital System, and Gina Brandolino behind the glass. We'll be back. More so than me. She knows my And more so than me Understands this pain I'm either too lost Or not lost enough I think I'm too smart 
for this type of love I was insane of but straight to the ground and I know God best is one with no Don't know why the past affects me in this way Don't know where I'll go if I leave here today But I know my limits and you're not the type To be fooling around in this way No reason you're here but there's reasons to stay Not as easy to know as it's easy to say Cause to my family and my friends I can't think of one thing that I Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. Today on the program, C.M. Burroughs is here. We've got the book, The Vital System, poems out with Tupelo Press on the table with us. Uh, and we also have a lovely manuscript, Master Suffering, um, soon to be out with Tupelo Press this coming year. So, C.M., thanks for picking songs for today's show. Sure. Um, what what was what did we just yeah tell us why this song so we just listened to if the book doesn't sell by writ momney um and i we missed the the essential part of it so you all have to go listen to the whole thing but uh there's a sort of clash of heaven and hell within the song where the speaker or the singer in the song doesn't understand if if god is real anymore um if god exists and that's a question i take up quite a bit in my new book and that actually ends the first book the vital system Mm -hmm. so spirituality what that means what is god (laughs) what is belief all of these questions come to bear well that's that's quite that's very, very heavy. <laughs> that yeah, is, that yeah. Is. I mean, so I'm glad you named it what you did, for example, because mm-hmm. when I saw your title, I thought, okay. This. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and it, this book, The Vital System, mm-hmm. was out with Tupelo Press in 2012. Right. So Master Suffering has been, has this been sort of started uh, even probably before 2012? If you know, actually, no? so... Okay. I'm, I love being done with one project, actually seeing it through publication. <laughs> and I, I write while, you know, before the next one's out, I'm, I'm still thinking, but I really understand what needs to be next once it's out in the world. Because otherwise, do things start connecting to the other project? Or You know, the crazy thing is they've done that anyway. They've started, you know, one book starts to jettison towards the other. It it brings up questions that the other might need to ask, right? Or answer. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of what you said this was happening because in mm-hmm. the vital system, these questions about spirituality, God mm-hmm. were present there. Yeah. And then, okay. So um, do you mind reading from, from master suffering? Sure. Sure. Uh, So in line with If the Book Doesn't Sell, and as you might imagine, the book is the Bible in that song, um, 
I've been writing a series of poems called, entitled God Letter. And what I do is I have conversations with friends about religion, um, what it is, what their beliefs are, where that comes from, and my own. And I try to then interpret these conversations through a poem and figure out, well, what does this mean? Where, where, do, where do I stand now that I understand this person's uh, interpretation of? When, you, when did you decide to do that as this type of um, frame or project for the poems? It was absolutely accidental. So I had a very long conversation with a friend one day just about religion. And I think it started with something really simple as, do you go to church, right, to this person? And um, we were talking for 45 minutes or so from there. And because I don't have a, I'm atheist, so I don't have a direct connection to God in the believing sense, but in the in the sense of the query, um, the investigation of it, the intellectual pursuit, it's it's a curious thing to me. And the historical effect on culture, mm-hmm. etc. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, um, right. So, here. okay, what, yeah. What do you think? So, I'll read Which... one of the God Letter poems. God Letter. If I could think of him as formless, all energy and myth. I could believe better. Dear Van, thank you for saying that spirituality explains what science can't. This makes sense to me, mostly because I needed language that worked outside figures mimicking the human human form, i.e. God and Jesus. Does spirituality exist at the end of knowledge? It was you who told me Einstein didn't believe in a personal God, but in Spinoza's God who reveals himself in the orderly harmony of what exists. Which makes me think of nature poetry, how harmony, to borrow the word, can occur. And I know, I know the writer is God, but skipping that, I'm bowed by Einstein, permitting himself multitudes, space to critique one belief and occupy another I have never understood religion as liberated, but as rigid order of ritual and the force of him is powerful in the Baptist church where I grew up. Van, what I find important is your desire to learn and your openness to spirituality. It is lush and teaches me, too, to be a scholar of belief, an informed believer, if I should come to that. Thank you. (laughs) For for these conversations, then do you also, in the book, do you dedicate it to the person that you were speaking to? Are they named? They're more... named in the poem, yeah. But, but beyond, um, like, fully named? Or, like, here we have Van. Right, so A. Van Jordan. So only oh, people probably of the show. who know yes. <laughs> these writers personally will maybe pick up their well, single no. singular so, name. So it won't be like in the back of the book where you say this poem is this conversation right, with no. this this poet on this date or no. okay. And maybe they're not all poets who you have conversations they actually. with. They aren't. And no. so how did you know when you were done talking with people like I'm not this done. Way? Okay. I'm not done. <laughs> I'm still doing it. And I'm still reckoning with my feelings toward toward religions outside of of baptism um baptism i said uh christianity um which is kind of the way that i learned it 
uh, a friend of mine is a Jehovah's Witness, and so I think so often about what that means in terms of actually how she goes about her day-to-day life, which might not be as effortless as someone who's not a witness. Um, I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble for saying any of this, so... Okay, well, let me join you. Let me see. Okay. <laughs> um, well, because when you said that, I, w- I was thinking immediately and, and with my limited uh, knowledge of this, which uh, is, so, yeah, here we go, right. um, <laughs> is that I think that there's only a certain number of um, folks that are chosen. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in that faith, that always concerned me because when I was growing yes. up, I, I knew a family and, and I think they were concerned about us. Right. <laughs> that's the thing. And I just thought, oh, that's... Um, how can it be such a small number? Uh, yes. Even though it's hard to fathom that number um, as a child anyway, it still seems rather small. So let me tell you, this is what I came up with. Um, it seems to help me to try and empathize as much as possible with the other person. So in The Vital System, my final poem is a young girl uh, to a hooded attendant or a hooded attendant to a young girl. Something like this. It's been a while. A young yeah. girl, a young girl and a hooded attendant. Yes, so on this, this thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, but that empathizes and I try to place myself in my sister's body so that I can understand what choice might come into dying. And so I've done the same thing with this notion of Jehovah's Witness uh, religion where I, I rethink my relationship to my friend as not a critical eye or a, well, why can't you do ABC, right? Why is it so... Um, and well, let me understand how it might feel as someone who does believe these things wholeheartedly, right? What is it to uh, be in our social political sphere and then understand that it's not a permanent thing, right? That Jehovah will shift all of this one day, restart, reset. How do you deal with Trump if that's something you believe, right? Yeah, maybe you're hoping for the reset earlier than you thought you would be. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I'm, I'm so afraid of emails that I might get after this. No. I have no idea. I'm, no. <laughs> I'm not. No. I don't speak I, about religion with any acuity. So, Well, <laughs> the, and we're talking poems now. Yes. And we're talking about conversations you had with people. And this, like, uh, deep, like, to have empathy for another mm-hmm. and to have compassion. Yes, compassion. Oh, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'll read the. I'll read this poem that is getting me in trouble here. God letter. <clears throat> Forgive me. I've been so very small-minded, dear Sasha. I see you sketching Jehovah's unknowable hand, how he extends his perhaps palm improbable gesture. Stitches figmented fingers from their natural sieve and sweeps. Sweeps until this world is again, again elemental. Such that the president doesn't matter. The assault on abortion rights doesn't matter. The negative impact of climate change, disparity of wealth and economic opportunity, child abuse, redlining and systemic racism, gender bias, misogyny doesn't matter. Nutrients for new soil. By your hand, he sows the dead in revised Midwestern plains, seals tungsten mines, disappears nuclear clinker, commits full erasure. And you, what comes first? Food, water, shelter, 
Start small, smaller, plot the most basic of needs. Witnesses must have thought waiting for the beginning was the patient part. The anxiety of time, time enough to be chosen as godly, as good. But here you are, reborn to the naked world, under strain of knowing what had been, deciding with throngs of worthy acolytes what's to come next. So there's my compassion. <laughs> Thank you for reading that one, CM. Um, that, so when you were listing the things mm -hmm. that are, like I would say, um, from my position, like these things that are, are, are wrong. Yes. Um, I almost, I, I thought, how does this release the person then, um, from, from agency? Right. I wondered about that. I don't know. I, I just, I gave myself permission to, for one moment, think about what belief could be when you're truly isolating yourself in that belief and thinking through that for a moment. It might be a very idealistic thing, I think, in terms of believing as well and trusting this force, right? But um, I needed to know what the best of it might feel like. That's all. I think that's lovely. Um, and maybe if you also think that it'll be over. Like I'm trying to think mm -hmm. this thought mm -hmm. through here <laughs> very slowly, apparently <laughs> very slowly. Um, like, what is it like? Maybe also if you're going to be one of the people who are chosen mm -hmm. to have the beginning and with all this is nutrient, yeah. um, maybe it is up to you to have agency and act in your mm -hmm. present day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to work against injustice sure. so that you are one sure. that is there at the beginning. That's nice. Who like that? <laughs> but, we came in here with our tea, didn't know what we were getting into. <laughs> exactly. Well, more conversation ahead. <laughs> um, that's for sure. With CM Burroughs today on Living Writers, um, we just heard from the new manuscript, Master Suffering. We've got more poems and conversation about the vital system out with Tupelo Press ahead. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. So you think I'm alone But being alone's the only way to be When you step outside You spend life fighting for your sanity This is a cold war You better know what you're fighting for This is a cold war Do you know what you're fighting for? If you wanna be free Below the ground 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, C.M. Burroughs is here. Thanks for choosing the songs today. <laughs> yes. So I love this song by Janelle Monet. She's an Atlanta-based artist. Um, sort of Afrofuturist type music, but this song is entitled The Cold War, and I think that fits perfectly this this notion of struggle in the current systems uh fits perfectly into that stanza of what things are are the matter and it might not matter in this uh a space of absolutely idealistic belief in something else um it's also to reach to my roots my southern roots I, I do love Atlanta, though I just traded my 404 area code for a 312. Sorry. Um, but the artists of Atlanta Gina is just cheering spectacular. Over <laughs> yeah. It was hard. It was yeah, hard. Yeah, why did you? So I, I know this is, this is, um, there, there, I don't know if you have a poem about this, Sam, but, um, yeah, that's, cause that's a hard thing to do. What is it? Cause it does it symbolize something? Well, or, I, I love Chicago so much. I need to be there. Um, yeah, need is need is the word. I just bought a condo there. And so it seemed, well, clearly you're not looking back. Um, you're not looking to take out another mortgage in Atlanta anytime soon. So it made sense to completely walk into this space. And it, it meant my identifier. And the phone number is such... If you think about how many forms our phone number goes on, how many people get our phone numbers... It's definitely part of your identity. Oh, yeah. Big time. And so it made sense that it should be 312 now. Mm. Yeah. Ho hopefully your family in Atlanta are like <laughs> listening right now. Me. They, they know I'm... And plus you you always... There's always going to be, I think, these these traces or um mm -hmm. that the essence of who we are in some ways in the in the work. Yes. Um, it's sure in, in the vital system... Um, it seems clear that the South um, is there's it's present. Mm -hmm. um, family is present. The book is dedicated to yes. your sister. Yes, to my sister. Um, I do. The landscape figures into it in in terms of blackness and in terms of superstition in a way as well. I've got the one poem called. Oh boy. Let's see, I just had it. On impact, page thirty-three. Ah, yes. Um and so this is this is where this sort of lore or superstition comes in. I'll I'll just read this quickly. It's a short one. On impact. We watched the bird begin at the veranda's edge and taking off with mission into the French doors five feet ahead. A red bird, reddening, sexed in vermeil. Damaged. Days this continued. You saw it. The bird dying for the bird. How to love the self. A week at least. At last. The elongated click of its mouth. A tension. A repetition. The work of watching its attempts to die. The words please and don't mind from every throat in that house. As much as we were witnesses, we did not see its beak gag, did not see it die but gently noticed no refrain, no rhythm at the glass, its body or betrothal gone. And so around that time, I remember my mother noticing the bird too, and it was a cardinal that kept doing this. Um, and this was, 
the day my sister died, this bird began doing this. And it, it, it brings up this notion of the connection between birds and death, the appearance of the bird with a death. So I had to write about it. And I love seeing cardinals now. Strangely, right? You would think I would hate them, but they make me really happy because they make me think of my sister. And the smoke. And yes. Oh, mm-hmm. I love. And, and red is present throughout this book in so many ways as well. It's, it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm, thank you for reading this, this poem. Um, there, there was a cardinal that um, at, at my mom's home that also um, did this. Really? Um, for a very long time. A very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he eventually disappeared, um, another cardinal has sort of taken over. And, wow. and again, it's at like a sliding glass door. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's hard to tell if it's it's a love thing. I, that's what yeah. it was so interesting in this poem to be in your poem mm-hmm. and to have this story and world and then have this echo of this familiar right. one that yeah. was in the back. Because to... it's got to be something about desire, right? Or... Or attack. I couldn't tell which it was. Mm -hmm. But this idea of self-love in the poem was so surprising and and beautiful, like seeing oneself in the glass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How to love the self. Yeah. There's also... um, Throughout the book, I feel like the that deer return and a yeah. and and a doe and they do come in. Um, I am from the south <laughs> uh, in Virginia, where my mother's people are from. There, there was this albino deer that would appear every blue moon, and it was a special thing to see it. Um, and then. Just deer would always be around the yard and of my of my families, and so, and it seems like such an innocent animal most times, right? And the doe, they seem so vulnerable. Uh, and I needed I needed a body like that to help me alongside my own body in the book, which I was born premature. I was a pound twelve ounces, and so there's a vulnerability that comes with that. Um, that these figures of the cardinal and the doe uh, can carry. And in in one of the poems, because there's uh, how the book is working, there's often um, this feeling of uh, like there's absence and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how how the poems are spaced, uh, how um, there's um, even the spaces between words or. Yeah. Um, like a backward slash, like these these um, these things that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also a narrative line that goes through yeah. the poem where it feels like I don't know if this is right. Is where it's this reckoning with the the presence and absence of your sister. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm still stuck on this notion of someone's passing and that. It's it's the artifacts, the physical artifacts of that person and then the memories of that person that really keeps them not I don't want to say alive, but it 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 makes it a fact that they had lived. Right. Um, versus that the apparition, the the faded thing, the, the thing that's dissipated or like the energy returning to whatever is in the soil or the yeah, earth. So yeah. that. Maybe like stardust, it all gets used right. for more bodies or matter or mm-hmm. beings. So you can assert well, this 
this happened, right? This person was, existed, etc. So then what happens when the carriers of the, the memory or the artifacts also are past, are gone? So I'm writing these books. <laughs> you know, it's... I, I, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I um, think of the book as something like an artifact that can, wh- whenever my time is to go, um, that's the thing, like the chat book I, 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 that I, I worked on when I was in Pittsburgh. In my, yeah, in Pittsburgh in my early 20s. Um, that's a little artifact that crops up every now and again. We did, Douglas Kearney designed it, and we did a limited print of this small chat book while I was trying to get my first book published. And a, a student recently came to my office and he, he said, hey, look what I found in, in a used bookstore in some other part of the country. Holy, not not Pittsburgh, not Chicago. Um, and it was really just amusing to me that a thing could, could have legs like that. Must have been shocking, too, and sort of what <laughs> you also had hoped for it when you made it. Because this was, at this point in your life, this was a self-published chapbook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you did a print run of these. Yeah. Now you can find it when uh, Bolarium Books, purveyors of rare and out-of-print books, posters, and ephemera on social movements, has one copy available now. That's so cool. It is. I loved it. We might have to do another run, you know, a little limited edition. But the thing back then was I wanted folks to have something in hand, right? Because the poems aren't immediately easy or immediately accessible. That's why I spoke earlier about having to teach the reader through the poem, guide the reader through the poem, and how these poems as a whole are to be read, what you might expect from them. And so writing I, 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 and it has poems from the vital system in it, writing that gave me a way to, for $5, um, give folks something to take home to further dig into, right? Because you're going to catch an essence of something when you're hearing the poem aloud, if it's quote unquote, uh, difficult to roost in, right? You need more time. Um, or sometimes to see it, to see how yeah, some of the other yeah. layers of meaning right. might be happening. Punctuation, line breaks, you know, mistaken words, right? You correct yourself when you go to the page. Mm-hmm. And so when you did this, did you bring them with you to readings or did you take them to local bookshops or, you know, thinking mm-hmm. back to that time? It was both, actually. So there's this fantastic bookshop in Pittsburgh called Caliban, and it's on South Negley, I think. Um, And they carried the chapbook for years. And I think I was there recently for a gig, and I want to say I saw it. I can't can't remember now. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, you know, it's, it's folks like that who really help you know, fledgling writers sort of make a mark. And I, t- I took it to readings and I would sell them at readings. And that, again, was another way to try and and make a mark where I couldn't make one, quote unquote, officially, right? So my book wasn't uh, published by a major press or anything, but I can still put something of matter in people's hands. 
And it's an artifact. And it's something mm-hmm. about like, I made, I made this. So you're not only hearing it, mm-hmm. but you're mm-hmm. seeing it. It's something, it's an object, this artifact in the world. Right. Right. That we leave behind us too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, Balerian books, everyone. There's, there's <laughs> one, one copy available there. Um, and I, I just, and I also feel like it must be so, it feels like it must have been such an important moment to print something mm-hmm. Your, mm-hmm. yourself instead of waiting, I guess, in some ways for yeah. a, a journal or a magazine or an online, sure, sure. something to pick it up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, it was really nice. And I've always been, you know, on the grind as a poet and hustling, you know, I don't. I don't sit around and wait for things to happen to me. So this introvert, <laughs> you're like, no more introversion. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out yeah, of a yeah, room. Yeah, that's where the public personas of my parents kind of come in. Um, you know, my father was always up in front of a courtroom or a, a conference room doing his thing. And so and I would go to take your kids to work day and sit in on his he was a real estate attorney uh, closings and just watch him perform. Right. And it was beautiful. And also, I was a member of several clubs when I was in school, high school and middle school. And my parents, my mother would make me write these speeches and then practice out loud over and over till I was comfortable. And I'm sure I didn't want to do it at, you know, 16 years old, 12 years old. But thank goodness now. Right. It sure did help. Thanks, Mom. Don't be shy, young poet. <laughs> <laughs> practice, practice. Let, let's take a short break, and then when we'll come back, we'll, we'll, we'll hear more. Today, C.M. Burroughs is here. The Vital System, Poems, out with Tupelo Press. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, C.M. Burroughs is here in the studio. The book on the table, The Vital System, Poems, out with Tupelo Press, and also a beautiful manuscript mm-hmm. of Master Suffering, also on the table with us, soon to, soon to be out in other forms that you, you too can find it um, with Tupelo Press. So today, we've talked 
about things I didn't even expect to talk about. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming and being a game to be here um, on Living Writers. And um, and so we were we were actually at the break. Um, Sam and I were talking about. Well, you know, this is the, towards the end of the show. Um, let's let's talk about empathy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yes. So um, the vital system is partially about my sister who passed away, right? And so she comes up in many poems, but the final poem in the book, A Young Girl and a Hooded Attendant, is my most important poem. I think if it if it were the only poem ever written by me, I would I would be satisfied. I'd be satisfied. So Sam, what's the story of the the poem? Like when did you write it? And did it come to you like in like an image or were is it something that changed drastically over time Mm -hmm. or what what is it wasn't an easy poem it was a a free write session on a beautiful spring day in Pittsburgh and I I put my sister into the work and ultimately this started coming out of it and I was sitting with a friend and I said before I got too deep into it I said I might be crying but just leave me alone I'm, I'm fine I'm just writing something important here and she let me she let me go and I I showed the poem to one person Aaron Smith and I think we changed a couple words but that was it that was it so from that free write session Mm -hmm. that was connected were you in school then or was it something that you had gone to as a in school anymore I was um I was a visiting lecturer at the University of Pittsburgh then and so I was this was just you know once you're in the working world, protecting your writing time. This was now a time I had to carve out for myself to to do the, what is actually really difficult work of writing. And so to do it, it sounds like you also had a couple of poet friends that oh, were yeah. also there writing in these, like, I, like I, a meetup. I can't stress the importance of community and sort of gathering your your best friends and your best readers around you. And that's a really thankful gracious space to be in as a as an artist as a writer um because it's not simply a critical gaze right it's a loving gaze it's a compassionate gaze it's a studious gaze these are people who want to learn of you and through you and so they dedicate themselves to the work um and i do the same thing for for others as well it's a pleasurable uh work because it's a way again to choose art like yes, knowing that art is something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. It we, matters <laughs> we, that matters that we have that we need. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shall I read this? Yes, please. Okay. A young girl and a hooded attendant. You must have in your muscles your threshold of pain. Said when the light, whole or gracious hand appeared. Yes. First looked behind you to the macrame of tubers, rigs, and your body's openings that were made openings through which slender metal mouths sucked or spewed all the black black, the sterilized tears, the life and lifelessness of that place. Must have looked on all it amounted, surveyed the wilt, rot, measurable ravage, and looked away. What intelligent sickness! 
Rather, what is in front of you answers how the water and the wood bridge leading to the water signify a freedom only felt when going under. Count backward from 100. 100, 99, 98. It doesn't take what you think it takes to leave the body. What it requires is that you admit yourself, the bleak shelter of your body against the calm. 92, 91. Of what impresses your optic nerve, yourself, woundless, and saturating that desire, further corrected colors. So we were talking about empathy before, and this is one of those poems where I had to figure out empathy in conjunction with grief. Uh, because grief is, oftentimes, I learned uh, over years of experiencing it, it can be a selfish thing, right? I have lost, I, I've given up, I miss, I need, it's not fair, right, to me. But if I think about the nature of illness, serious, real illness, and in my sister's case, she was ill for years, had a liver transplant, lived one fantastic year, and then rejected the liver and died. Um, and one, it's taken me a long time to be able to say that easily, right? Um, but also, one must have a choice in the matter, right? That made me come closer to not grieving or not being angry in the same way, right? Because so if from this ill body, I'm choosing one thing over the other, one better place over this situation, right? Then it must be an all right choice to make. And when you were imagining your sister's letting go mm -hmm. or making mm -hmm. a choice to go to another place or another, um, mm -hmm. were, were you also then trying like imagining it for yourself because empathy bringing it into you know it, it's funny but I, my only construction of an other place was like uh born from mythology and not the bible like not the bible everything else right and it and it wasn't really imagistically full it was simply a space where the body was no longer the burden that's it, right? I, I am well there. I will choose there. And that that's what I discovered in the poem. I, I wrote toward that not knowing the destination at all, um, but I felt I had sort of fixed something in me by writing it, fixed something in me that was still angry. You, you can be angry as a 15-year-old when your, your sister dies young. And we were best friends. She was four years younger, and I loved her so hard. And um, But anger can change. Grief can change. So empathy is a damn beautiful thing. I'm thankful for it. Because you don't want it to change. You don't, you don't want it to, to change you in the way that had your sister been able to to live mm -hmm, she wouldn't have mm -hmm. wanted to see you changed by her in that way sure sure right like I, mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh. and I, I think empathy carries in the same 
way across uh, master suffering, just this effort to feel within other bodies um, so that I can try and do best by them, try and be most honest by them. And within the mind's creation of belief, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, what is mm-hmm. sometimes and even sometimes even a more powerful reality than the body's reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those things are, you know, I say I'm not a believer, but in a thing, but belief itself, the ability to do it uh, is a really interesting thing to me. So I, I'm sure I won't stop excavating that in my third book when it, when it should come. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here today, CM. Thank you. My it's pleasure. So, so good to talk with you. Come back anytime. <laughs> okay. um, today on Living Writers, CM Burroughs, the book, The Vital System, poems out with Tupelo Press and also Master Suffering, uh, poems with Tupelo Press in 2020. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to Tupelo Press for sending the books. Thanks to Ashley Bates at Zell Visiting Writers Series. Thanks to Frank Uli for post-production. Thanks to George Cooper and happy birthday, George, um, for our theme song um, at the top of the hour. Thanks to Gina Brandolino for engineering. Thanks to all of you out there listening. Thanks to mom. I know you're tuned in today too, mom. And thanks to friend of the show, pop pal of the program, A. Van Jordan here as part of the studio audience today. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
All right, welcome to the Daily Sports Report. My name is Jack Molino. I'm with Charlie Goodwin, Owen Swanson, and Adam Bressler. It's 6 p.m. Uh, this is WCBN Sports, and I think we're going to open up with some baseball. Uh, the Nats took um, the, Na- the National League pennant over the Cardinals. Adam is a local Washington, D.C. native here. Um, we'll open up with his thoughts. What do you think about this National League or this, this Nationals team. I'm super excited about that. I've been a lifelong Nats fan pretty much since they moved uh, to uh, D.C. in 2005. I was actually at that very first game at Kennedy Stadium when they moved. And it's so great to see them finally break through this playoff drought, uh, make it past the first round, and uh, sweep the cards. That was super unexpected, but so excited. I was fortunate enough to be in town for game one, or game three, excuse me, and it was such a great atmosphere. The city really loves it, and I'm super excited to see what they could do against either the Yankees or the Astros. I mean, take your pick, the Yankees or Astros. Probably the Yankees, right? Yeah, probably the Yankees. Both teams are really strong, but I'd say the Astros are stronger, especially pitching-wise. Pitching is what wins series is in the postseason. You need just uh, three or four quality starters and the Astros have that so I'm I'm pretty nervous about facing them but then again the Yankees they just have bats uh 